0: Welcome back to this, the fifth and final podcast episode of a short box set where we challenge the institutional prejudice experienced by so many people carrying around the label of personality disorder. For those of you new to the series, I produce these as a response to the recent remarkably prejudicial personality disorder course description circulated by the Royal College of Psychiatrists. So, what have we learned? Well, sadly, It would appear very little. What's becoming blatantly apparent is that this is a marathon and not a sprint. People with a label of personality disorder are dying, not because of their so-called condition, but because of prejudice. A structural prejudice that's got into our collective psyche where folk merrily brandish the label, sticking it on anyone they don't like, anyone who appears to be an arsehole in their eyes. We all know politicians who this has been applied to. A prejudice that's fueled by media portrayals and lazy reporting. A cultural prejudice that exists in large organisations and institutions. A prejudice that was exemplified by the recent hateful personality disorder course description circulated by the Royal College of Psychiatry. A course that was cancelled because one person on that circulation list shared it on social media, just one person. We've learned that bad things happen because good people do nothing, or even when they do do something, there's no coordinated response to this hatred. So many efforts are lost like tears in the rain. Yes, I know that was stolen from Blade Runner, but I feel it applies perfectly here. We know a huge proportion of people entered the caring professions with the best of intentions, to do some good. But we know there are thousands of people working in the sector who don't hold stigmatising belief. But so many do so little when confronted with the prejudicial behaviour of others. I don't think the words of Desmond Tutu can be overstated here. If you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. But we know that prejudice is endemic in all frontline services that work, with, that work with people with a personality disorder. It's not just the NHS, it's the police, the Department of Work and Pensions and their crippling, cripplingly difficult and opaque administrative processes, social work and the criminal justice systems to name but a few. We've seen what happens when that prejudice is allowed free reign to course unabated like wildfire through the development of systems like the High Intensity Network Serenity Integrated Mentoring Scheme that replaces care with coercion. A system that, although exposed to be pseudo behaviorist bollocks, seems to have a tenacious hold on clinicians who believe that by calling it something else, they'll manage to slip it under the anti-prejudicial radar. For example, the JET joint engagement team being eulogised by Ipswich and East Suffolk Clinical Commissioning Group to help them manage what they call high-intensity patients. If you think that language sounds familiar, it is. It's been sold to them by the same snake oil salesman who headed up the high-intensity network. These are the same people who published the words How best to practically manage patients with personality disorder and the skills to achieve this in a 10-minute consultation. 10 minutes. Really. We know the NHS is employing more people with a lived experience, supposedly to right these wrongs. But already we're seeing how those in power are prioritising the corporate experience of applicants over their lived experience. And there's an expectation in many cases that any mental malady is a thing of the past where trust will only employ people who've fully recovered whatever that means with an inspirational story to share we've heard that reasonable adjustments in the workplace are often never even considered never never mind co- implemented and of course there's the overreaching power of the latest guidelines from the International Classification of Diseases, the ICD-11, a shockingly poor document that disguises an attempt at budgetary gatekeeping as sound clinical practice. Links to this and all the other bits and pieces in the blurb. These structural and cultural prejudice embolden bigots to speak out unchallenged with no fear of repercussions or sanctions. Remember Lara's words from the first episode where a lecturer declared it was okay to hate your PD patients, where a senior doctor felt it was perfectly fine to say, bloody hell, five minutes with one of them and you'll want to blow your fucking brains out. We have a long way to go. This isn't just about an errant course description. In this podcast, I speak with Holly, who's the co-host of the Wrong Kind of Mad podcast about her experience of prejudice working as a person with a lived experience in and outside the NHS. At the end of the episode, I've put some ideas about where we could go next to start to turn around this super tanker of injustice. Here's the personality disorder course outline that motivated me to put this short series together. Personality disorder, PD, is a thorn in the flesh of many clinicians as, however they may wish to avoid managing those with such a diagnosis, those with a personality disorder label have a tenacious hold on the clinician. While only a small minority of PD patients actively seek treatment, although often in a dysfunctional manner, the majority avoid contact with health, health professionals, but nonetheless cause considerable distress, both to themselves and those around them. The uncertain nature of the PD diagnosis and the unproven nature of its treatment results in psychiatrists being damned if they do, i.e. getting involved and then being blamed for the subsequent outcome, and damned if they don't, i.e. avoiding responsibility and hence being blamed for the subsequent outcome. This course is aimed to equip clinicians with a rational and defensive approach in the management of this group. Once again, I won't read out the course objectives here because, since the foundations of the course are built on prejudicial hatred, any learning they claim to offer is utterly invalid. Who's the course aimed at? General psychiatrist in the main, but variants of this have been well received by other mental health professionals such as psychologists, mental health nurses, social workers, etc. Okay, uh, this is the uh, the fourth interview in the uh, series of, uh, <laughs> I haven't even got a title for these. So, welcome Holly, uh, thanks ever so much for giving up your time to talk to me about the um, the course description from uh, about a personality disorder course from the uh, Royal College of Psychiatry. Uh, Welcome. Hello. Lovely to see you.
1: You too. No, but thank you for thank you for for asking me to do it again.
0: I really appreciate you coming on. So, right, what were your first thoughts? You you saw it. You thought, "Yay, this is great."
1: Oh, my my first thoughts were, "What the fuck is this? Is this genuine?" Yeah, yeah. This up like I. I really, really struggled um, to believe it was real for a minute. Um, Although, you know, these are opinions and things that I hear regularly in the work that I do. Just how brazen (laughs) it was, um, was really, really startling. Um, Yeah.
0: So it was a surprise, but not a surprise.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So... um do you think they were they were more brazen because they felt that it has been sent out to a closed community
1: i suspect so yeah um i think if they'd have known that that would have been leaked in i say leaked in inverted commas you know it was it was shared and understandably and rightly so it's not it's not secret property is it but um yeah, I don't, I think they would have potentially phrased it very differently if, if they'd have known someone might share this. Um, and I think that there, is, that there is some kind of safety within like having these opinions and knowing that your discipline, um, a lot of the time upholds and backs up those opinions yeah, yeah, and ways yeah. of being with people yeah so i i suspect yeah it was it was very much knowing their target audience i guess the, the, the,
0: uh, yeah and I think that just sort of goes on to you know the, in that environment that the, they they did it without fear of repercussion or yeah. any sanctions they they yeah. they knew that they could they could just do this, and even now with the apology, there doesn't appear to be any any sanctions uh, going on uh, there doesn't appear to be any repercussions
1: I, I don't know if they actually know who is responsible for it right. i think that's the difficulty because i don't know if it's like if it's just come from an admin person or right. a secretary right somewhere um,
0: or the author of the course
1: potentially yeah
0: yeah um
1: for me it has to come from someone that is a clinician yeah. to Use the language yes. that they have used. Yeah, that's not going to be your average, you know, admin worker.
0: No, no, it did feel like it was. Um, it, it came from a, a place of knowledge of, 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 discriminatory language.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So, right, we. I think we, we've established that, that it was a surprise, but not a surprise. Uh, mm. In, in the the area that I'm keen to explore in this in this podcast, <clears throat> or in this what has rapidly become a box set of podcasts, <laughs> um, is why wasn't it a, a surprise? Can you talk can you talk a bit about your experiences? Tell me, tell folk, tell the, the the eager listener a bit about your work, and and tell them how you rub shoulders with professionals and the NHS, if if that's okay. <laughs>
1: Okay. Um, So I work for um, an organisation whose primary aim is to stop uh, people with a diagnosis of personality disorder um, being sent to private out of area placements to essentially be warehoused and not really receive anything that's claimed. (laughs) Um, So the people that I work with um, are often attached to CMHTs, potentially um are in uh inpatient wards or potentially are in placements right. um and we're trying to repatriate them um so as part of their care we attend a lot if, of even
0: camps. the language there repatriate them it sounds like you're 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 you're, you're pulling them out of a war-torn country
1: um, yeah but it is kind of like that chris though that's Bloody that's the thing. Hell. Yeah,
0: that's shocking holly yeah
1: um yeah and uh, i think for us it, it kind of does feel like kind of taking people away from something that's really horrible yeah yeah and, and taking them back to their homeland where right you know they have like connections to the community and support networks and people around them and yeah. places that they know um yeah so it, it does feel like that um but yeah so as part of their care obviously they they have a registered clinician or a consultant psychiatrist um And we uh, have to interact with them. Um, And some of them are all right. Some of them, not so much. Um, But also I've delivered um, lots of training for about 10 years um, and worked within the NHS um, previously. And um, the, (laughs) the opinions and the knowledge that I see psychiatrists having about um, the construct of personality disorder and particularly the people that have the diagnosis um, are often absolutely shocking right. and yes. um, I think what is really interesting about um, so delivering the, the knowledge and understanding framework training yeah um, for a long time um, is that psychiatrists rarely choose to attend uh by their own volition they are sent or they don't attend right right um so i, I think that says something to that
0: begin that, with. that was one of the interesting things when i was uh, when i was applying for said job it, it, i i asked the the, the sort of um the, the the leader of that part of the the organization and i said you know is is this training mandatory and uh, good God, no! Of course it isn't. You know, kind of why? Why would it be mandatory? Well, because then surely the only people that ever turn up to this are the people that that are, have already are already enlightened. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Whereas in probation, it is mandatory training.
0: Right? Is it really? Yeah. So that's bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. So you you so you're saying psychiatrists just just as a matter of course don't turn up
1: no and if they do it's because they have been told they have to turn up and that is usually because of um serious untoward incidents that have happened right right Um, and then someone somewhere says oh you you might need some more training um and then they turn up and generally they're awful
0: right Um, right
1: (laughs) yeah sort of like a a, a recalcitrant
0: child right
1: Yeah, but I I guess because they are the people that don't want to do the training. um, And in fairness, there have been a handful over the years that have turned up and wanted to do it and wanted to learn more. Um, But they are few and far between, I think, in in secondary mental health services. Um, That's tragic
0: because... You'd, you'd like to think that the, the rogue element were the minority, but what you're saying is the rogue element are the majority.
1: Yeah. I also know some really good psychiatrists that want to do the right thing for people. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they are very, very few and far between, Right, right.
0: So do you have any set pieces that 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 sort of stand out for you that 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 you remember that i imagine you've got thousands but,
1: but yeah um i think one really stands out um i mean this this was quite an an old school psychiatrist i think he'd he'd been working for the trust for kind of 30 odd years um and he he turned up to some training and um, spoke about uh, a patient of his in such disparaging and denigrating language. It was really, really shocking. Um, and couldn't understand this person's distress at all and could only understand it as they are doing this on purpose to piss me off right and they right. can do it as much as they like i don't give a shit um
0: so what like but, i mean how was he describing them you know what, what what words was he using
1: uh so he was basically saying um this bloody person uh calls the cmht four or five times a week uh, they they turn up and they stand in front of my car. Um, and as far as he was concerned, this was all because, yeah. Um, so he as far as he concer- he was concerned, um, this person was just drug seeking. Oh my um, God. Yeah, no paying no attention to the level of distress that this person was experiencing or the fact that they were trying to communicate something, trying to seek help. Um, just they're drug seeking. I'm not giving them any more. They do this to piss me off. They want a reaction out of me and I'm not giving giving it to them. Um, And what was interesting is that there were two other psychiatrists at the same time on this cohort. Like three of them had been sent together, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, And after the break, they moved away from him, as if to say... Oh, we're we're not like we're not one of them.
0: Right, um, which right.
1: yeah, um, but he a p- part of the training is kind of exploring like what is personality disorder if it is if even is a thing. thing yeah um, And he was saying,, um, well, sometimes it can be um because of substance misuse or it can be uh, because of a head trauma. And I was like, no, right, no. And he was arguing the toss with me. And I literally got a slide up from the DSM five that clearly <laughs> states it is neither of these things if it is a thing at all. Um, and, and he was trying to say that both me and the DSM were wrong. Um, and yet he is a person that is responsible for diagnosing people and it felt like he had such a poor understanding of the construct which I don't agree with and the criteria which I don't agree with but he was just basing clinical decisions on him not fucking liking people that's what I
0: was going to say but what what was his basis and it was just not liking people it just if he really didn't if he despised somebody PD
1: yeah yeah,
0: bloody hell, that's terrible. And the way
1: the way that he interacted with me yeah. as someone that has a diagnosis, yeah, um, w- was also uh, awful. He was he was really really shitty for the whole three days, um, and completely discounted everything and anything I said. Um, yeah, and th- that really really sticks in my mind that whoever this poor person was clearly in a really acute amount of distress trying to communicate something wanting support for whatever was going on for them and it's just drug seeking and they're doing this on purpose to piss me off
0: just as a hot tip you know what what drugs do we get access to with bpd because i'm fucked if i've come across the really good ones
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, if you want to, if you want to be sedated to fuck, then yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah absolutely. Yeah. So um, I,
1: you you don't get anything too too good, do you? No,
0: not not that I know of. It's it, it's pre- pre- pretty much a chemical kosh. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: Yeah. Fascinating. I mean, so he was disruptive throughout the three the three days. Oh,
1: completely. Yeah, really trying to derail it. Really trying to undermine anything people were saying um yeah so you really yeah. good for people's care um and but the person that I was delivering the training with uh also really uh was quite appalled by this person as well
0: so what do you do with that do, I mean it's one thing to go this person's atrocious but then what do you do do you, do you Report them to the the, the Royal College. Well, yeah. Back
1: to the organisation. Yeah, uh, about how he had uh, interacted, um, but whether anything happened, I don't know. It's um, the
0: old no repercussions, no sanctions. I mean, maybe coming onto to the, the the cuff training, the knowledge and understanding framework training, was seen as punishment. And, and this was him acting out like a... Like yeah, a... I
1: think so. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's interesting, isn't it, how the people with the diagnosis are the people that act out and are obstructive and do things just to piss people off. Yeah. And yet a person in power that is responsible for the care of vulnerable people can react like this.
0: What did apart from not sitting with him anymore what did the other people in the room do
1: uh he so a lot of a lot of the training is kind of group work right. um, it was very difficult to get people to kind of join a group with him um yeah so he was that, a group was, he was
0: a group of one
1: I, I mean we kind we had to kind of facilitate and mix people up
0: yeah welcoming him but, to the bosom of the family yeah
1: yeah but but people people were really reluctant I think to interact with him after after that initial kind of outburst of they do this to piss me off um and not you know him not being able to acknowledge that that is a that is a feeling that you are having and not necessarily that someone is trying to force you to feel.
0: So did people challenge him? You know, apart from you, did people challenge him?
1: Yeah, the, actually, towards the the end of the training, um the other psychiatrists did, because I think they were they were really quite shocked and appalled. Um, but yeah, how the fact that he had been working in that position for so many years and had only reached this point, you know, relatively late in his career where he'd received any training about any of this and had been, um, I guess, questioned and um, kind of held accountable for something by his colleagues, like that seemed relatively new. Um, But but to have so little knowledge
0: of the construct Yeah. valid or not you know to yeah. say it was, it was head injuries and <laughs> I
1: know yeah
0: so when, when when he spoke about trauma did he engage with that or did he just dismiss it uh,
1: He, or? yeah he dismissed it I, he kind of felt that it was an excuse for people to behave badly
0: wow mm. i mean it's it's i i don't know it, it's it's astonishing that the people in that position of power D- did you get a feeling um uh, i mean were they all psychiatrists psychologists were the um were, were there uh, care assistants there were there
1: so there was a real mix so there was there was three psychiatrists which is unheard of to have that yeah, many in it. yeah yeah but a, a couple of psychologists, lots of nurses, some HCA support workers. Right, right. Um, like quite a, a mix of, of skill sets. Um,
0: Did you get a feeling of it, hierarchy? Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah, very much so. Yeah. And I think because he um, was the most kind of senior member of staff right. in that cohort. He very much wanted to make that known. Um, And it was quite bizarre to watch actually. Um, This, you know, this man that was probably in his 60s, like almost like beating his chest. uh, I've been a consultant for 400 years or whatever. And none of you know anything. Um,
0: I am a silverback. Yeah, I, I am alpha male. Yeah, that's really embarrassing.
1: Yeah, oh, it was absolutely cringeworthy. But
0: but, the, just but people really, bought really, into that. They they allowed him that slack. Do you, do you think or, or because
1: I think at first I sure. think at first yeah. people did. Um, and I don't know whether it was because because he was such a senior member of staff or whether um people just didn't know what to do sure like didn't know how to receive the things that he was saying um yeah but it i think it had a real impact on on that cohort um so
0: that's kind of good news that that it had an impact on them because that 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 then starts to imply that um they they, they have the right the right views the or do you think they there were people there who who were very sort of who had negative views towards people with personality disorder, but it's something that they wouldn't say in a public forum?
1: Um I think some of them might have had some negative views, and I think early on some of them were in agreement that yes, these awful people make us feel all of these things, and it's awful, yeah. and it's all their fault, and they're badly behaved. <laughs> um, but I think as the the training evolved and this psychiatrist got more and more out there, right. um, I think they really started to see and hear the the level of stigma that people face, and also how dangerous people potentially are within their care yeah, and the cost that, that, that has, um, yeah. So I think for everyone else, um, quite a significant turnaround right, and, right. um, real learning experience for him. I mean, I, I don't know if he's retired now or, I mean, I hope so, um, but yeah.
0: Maybe he's writing personality disorder courses now for oh. the Royal College <laughs> of Psychiatry. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Ah, uh, that's that. You know, that kind of sort of encapsulates it for me. That makes me so. I can't imagine what it could have been like to be his patient.
1: Mm. Um, yeah.
0: And and was he that abusive to his patient, or or? what's his approach do you think well who knows more passive aggressive in that they didn't he didn't engage with them then people don't know why they're not being engaged with and
1: which causes yeah. people to produce. i mean i suspect it's the latter that yeah yeah disengagement, i'm not i'm not giving you anything you won't get a rise out of me right um right. and then i i guess i wonder if that if that was why that person was having to really kind of up the intensity of trying to communicate something with, yeah. with him and, and stand in front of his car you know what what do you imagine someone is going through where they where they're in that position and they are standing in front of your car like can you not mentalize about what that level of distress must be for someone to get to that point is it is it really just about getting a reaction out of you because I don't think it is
0: quite egocentric isn't it yeah so with with the training that you you've been doing do do you get the feeling that things are changing I mean I've spoken to people who who've been doing this kind of thing for years and there's a feeling that we're banging our heads against the wall and that, you know, every time we think we've taken two steps forward, we suddenly discover that three steps have been taken backwards. Are, are you getting that kind of vibe or? Uh,
1: kind of, yeah, it's re- It's really difficult. And I, yeah, I haven't delivered much cuff um, over the past kind of two or three years, um, but delivered other, in inverted commas, personality disorder um, training. Um, and generally we don't get the people that need it. Sure. But what we do get are people that want to make a difference. And I think if, if there are enough of those people that can help shape a culture within an organization or a team, um, and make those people that are really embittered and burnt out and need to retire feel uncomfortable with having those views and it not be acceptable parlance to, you know, pass around the ward or the CMHT or wherever, then I think that's creating a change, but it is incredibly slow and it is painstaking and it's painful. It's painful to see and be part of, you know, it's, it is awful to, to walk into ward rounds with, you know, people that, that I have worked with and hear them be described as splitting the team and being manipulative and not um, having any of their needs considered or any of the work that they want to do around, you know, reducing restriction or getting leave or anything. its It can't be thought about because they all of the difficulty is located in them and not not the team around them or the systems around them.
0: The way you describe it there, um, a lot of it sounds punitive as opposed to clinical. Yeah,
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it becomes a way of, I think, managing people's anxiety about levels of risk, but also managing the difficult feelings that people are left with when they are working with people that um, are very risky and do very dangerous things and obviously that has an impact on people but when you are then showing someone's care in a way that is oppressive and punitive and restrictive you need to stop yeah. and fucking yeah. open your eyes a bit and think about what what am I playing out here what what is this for them or is this for me to feel safer, is this for me to feel like I am doing something to them because they're doing something to me?
0: Retaliation. Yeah. I. How is this allowed? You it, it, so it, it, do you get the feeling it's that kind of culture on a ward, <laughs> and 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 the dissenting voices that are saying, hold on a second, these are people who've been, you know, eighty percent of these people have been abused. Probably a hundred percent of them have, have experienced invalidation uh, throughout their lives, and you know, so no nobody's putting forward. A, I mean, even the good guys. You know, bad things happen when when good people do nothing, and it feels like there's a lot of good people doing nothing.
1: But I, I think often the the good people feel really powerless to do nothing in organisations that then turn on their staff when they speak out and want to do something different.
0: So if you're a whistleblower, for example, is that what you're saying? That yeah. That the systems are in place, not, not for the whistleblower, but but immediately that becomes an almost disciplinary kind of situation.
1: Yeah, because it's all about protecting the organisation's arse. <clears throat> right. And not protecting the people that they serve, unfortunately.
0: So do you think that's how do you move on from a culture like that how you know an ass ass protecting culture that 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 that, you know don't sue us or i i don't know
1: um well i guess you can do what kia and i did and leave the nhs sure Um, sure yeah uh yeah i don't i i think people are often very powerless at the hands of their organization both patient and in a lot of respects staff right because right. i think once you start speaking out you become um an extension of that in inverted commas problematic patient that right, is right. being obstructive is doing things to upset the team um and then that person is scapegoated um and often treated very poorly
0: do you find that being a person with lived experience in that environment do do you find yourself being scapegoated
1: Uh, yeah i absolutely was when i worked for the nhs yeah 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 very much so
0: well you would say that you're a pd yeah
1: yeah Yeah. i i mean nothing that i ever said (laughs) within within my team within the nhs could be thought about because i was just a person with lived experience and even worse i was a person with a pd diagnosis um and it didn't matter that um a lot of the interventions that my team uh used were very punitive and very restrictive um it didn't matter um that i would try and think of other ways or other ways of understanding what might be going on for people or highlighting why is it that we treat this person with this presentation this way and we treat this person with the same presentation another way what is it what is it about them that we don't like that means we treat them differently i didn't want to think about that Um, and it's the label um i mean a lot of them so I I worked for Assertive Outreach, so predominantly people had um, kind of psychotic illness, um, but most of them, well I say most of them, about half of them had a secondary diagnosis of personality disorder, which was um, not acknowledged, which in some ways is good that it wasn't acknowledged because that impacts people's care. But the the fact that it wasn't acknowledged meant that their narratives and their trauma was completely erased and amputated. And we were just filling people full of drugs and not tending to their psychological needs and understanding the way that our responses to them and the way that we interacted with them was really re-traumatising. No one wanted to think about that.
0: So the complete focus was on their behaviour and not their history and what what delivered them to that point. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, it just... It doesn't sound terribly well thought out.
1: No. No, it was appalling. Yeah, it was a horrendous experience and, um, yeah, a, a terrible
0: when when you were working when you're working as a person with a lived experience and you know you've got your your mental health label front and center did they ever talk about reasonable adjustments for you
1: no no
0: so There, there, there
1: were no adjustments to anything i think i so i was put into a team that didn't want me uh didn't understand anything about peer support didn't see um the relevance to my role being there um they were predominantly nurses um didn't see any value to me being there whatsoever <laughs> um and you know i had i'd never worked within the nhs within a team in that way i'd only ever delivered training or done consultation work so it was it was very different for me to kind of walk into an office and understand how um a team like that functions yeah yeah. it was never explained none of it was ever explained it was just this idea that well I should just know what to do because yeah. I'm there
0: you fit into the culture and we'll, we'll all get along like a house on fire yeah the the thing that is I mean we've got the 2010 Equalities Act and, and it put again mm-hmm. front and center it says reasonable adjustments if if you have uh, a, a disability and and you know what what we've been labeled with is classified as a, as a disability Um, and yet there's no consideration for for reasonable adjustments Uh, certainly when I I recently applied for a a senior uh, uh, knowledge and understanding framework uh, job and when I suggested reasonable adjustments it was like I'd uh, suggested the lead psychologist uh, should accompany me to the moon on a unicycle Uh, she started talking about well she started talking about occupational health in a way that well you're either well or you're not well it's a bit like say if somebody um if a wheelchair user came along and applied for a job it felt like she would be of the the way she she'd approach it is come back when you can ascend three flights of stairs and everything will be okay there's no sorry i'm on a bit of a weird roll here, so they only accepted you into a job i'm probably putting words into your mouth when they believed you were recovered from said mental malady not that you you had said mental malady or or, or,
1: no no. okay okay i think they they all knew that, you know, I was, I was still receiving services. All right. um, And I was working for the organization that I received services from.
0: Crikey. That must be hard.
1: Yeah, it was. Um, But they, but I think in a lot of ways that, um, that wasn't seen as um, relevant. So it didn't matter that, you know, I, I'd been receiving services from this organization for 10 years. I'd received a range of interventions. I'd had, you know, inpatient treatment from this organization. Um <clears throat> that didn't seem to matter. Um there was only one, maybe two people in that team that really um ever wanted me to use my lived experience with people and actually do peer support, um, the rest of them just saw me as another body Right. um, to drop meds off or, um, you know, sitting on a ward round or do a walking group or whatever. Um, There was very little attention paid to my living or lived experience um but also not only was it like it it was something that wasn't relevant it was something that was a deficit in some way even even though um you know the the support workers which support workers do a phenomenal job but i had received you know 12 weeks of training whereas a support worker can walk into a job tomorrow and yet they were paid more Yeah, Um, right. so but again culturally the organization didn't see any value in me or my lived experience um and that was that was something that was endemic within the organization and
0: they because they do like their banding in the nhs don't they
1: they do they do
0: and they and I suppose that's where the hierarchy comes in. So if you're being told that you're a band, is it band three? You would have been as a peer support worker.
1: Two. Wow. Yeah, the support workers were three. <clears throat> I was a two. Yeah.
0: So, so the, the 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 hierarchy sort of entrenched in 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 the system. So. The future, you know. We we we've we've got we've talked talked about people we've talked about cultures but but the structure seems to require dismantling because yeah. these people are working under the ICD eleven which to my mind is probably the most horrible piece of guidance in mental health I, I think I've ever seen it's it's um, basically gatekeeping
1: yeah under
0: the under uh under the the guise of clinical assessment Mm -hmm. and it just feels bizarre
1: yeah and i think to have you know kind of nearly 20 years ago gone from no longer a diagnosis of exclusion to now literally a diagnosis of exclusion because can (laughs) on the very mild end oh you don't need anything yeah come back when you're severe yeah um, which I think is not only hugely invalidating, but just so problematic to people um, that desperately need care and intervention. And but it's, you know, it's dangerous
0: because if they're using uh, people's behaviour as a measurement of severe or mild uh, or moderate, um, if you're sort of sitting in the moderate. Group, and you think that if you just up some of your behaviour, that might get you onto the waiting list of your dreams. Then yeah. you know there have been times when you know I I've been so desperate. I I, I think I would have done that.
1: Yeah, and yeah, you know, you you hear people talking about how are oh, those bloody patients with PD they're always up in the ante. Yeah. But why do you imagine that is? If they are doing that, they're like, being
0: directed to up the ante yeah. to, to access services. You have to behave in a certain way,
1: but giving them a very powerful message that they have to be incredibly risky to be deserving of care.
0: And then, if you, but if you're too risky, then you're too complex, and then you don't get a service.
1: And then you'll get sent away. Yeah.
0: On to your £250,000 a year holiday camp with a, a sign yeah. above the door that says we're.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Again, it, t- it takes us back to the um, bad things happen when good people do nothing. And do you get a feeling that there's a lot of professionals who are saying the ICD-11 is a terrible thing and yet we're not doing anything about it or they're just saying, well, it's yeah, it's okay we'll get on with it
1: i, I think it's a bit of a mix <clears throat> i think there are a lot of people that are i guess wanting to remove diagnosis altogether yeah um which i don't necessarily agree with um i don't you know i don't agree with diagnosis of personality disorder but Um, Without it, I wouldn't have received the therapies that I have. Um, And so I think if I had, you know, a different diagnosis, would I have been precluded from particular services? Um, I think that's a a difficulty that needs to be ironed out before people can be saying, yeah, we'll do away with diagnosis. but also I think there are there are some people that um see a value in maybe trying to see that you know we, we all have traits of PD and we're all on this continuum. Yeah. And I think that's absolute bullshit. Yeah. Um and I I can kind of kind of understand the point of wanting to normalize it, but then I think why why are you why are you even bothering because it is it is something that is so harmful to so many people i don't think we're ever going to be able to um really break down the the stigma around it by saying oh but we've all got a bit of it um that's absolute nonsense to me yeah. um and then i think there are some people that um don't agree with it don't think it should happen um but it has happened um and are kind of wondering where do we go next what do we do about it um and that's kind of part of the the big spur talk that um Keir and I are doing with um Angela Mays um so we're looking at you know we know that the diagnosis has lost all clinical utility yeah. it means, thing to anyone it's 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 a label that we affix willy-nilly when we don't like people yeah um, and if that's the case what's the point of it regardless of whether it's a slide in scale or otherwise and actually if we've got a consensus that we don't want this how do we change it what do we do yeah, about it yeah, yeah. how do we move on from it where do we go next and that's kind of part of our workshop like working out how do we come together as a community or a collective and do something about what is happening to people um, whether that will be successful or not remains to be seen but um, yeah so we are not fans of it at all um,
0: but the, the people can't. the people in charge are have so much power and it's yeah it feels like every time you try to challenge that power they they double down. As opposed to being reflective, they they double down. I mean, even with the I don't know if you you saw the apology for the um, yeah uh, the, the, the the course description, uh, and then though the there was a psychiatrist who who said I can't believe how negative people are being about this apology.
1: But it's not <clears> enough. <throat> And I've been very vocal about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not enough. I mean, you know, in in fairness to the Royal College, there have been other organisations that haven't apologised for things and they should have done. Yeah, yeah. I think it was good that they acknowledged it and they apologised for it, but it is still the bare fucking minimum.
0: Yeah, yeah. What's changed?
1: Yeah. Because whoever that person is, they are still practicing.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Whoever that person has trained previously, fuck knows what they have been taught yeah, about people yeah, yeah. with this diagnosis. God knows how that has then gone on to impact their care. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And it's, it's not enough to stay at the top and say, oh, we're very sorry, when there, there are so many layers beneath it.
0: My my concern was that this was seen as, not as the tip of an iceberg, but an iceberg in itself. It was like a, this this is just, we've never seen behaviour like this before. This is terrible.
1: I don't think they have <clears> seen behaviour <throat> like that so overtly in such a public domain.
0: Sure, sure.
1: I think behind the doors of the CMHT, behind the doors of the ward, yeah. we know it happens, but we don't see it that overtly.
0: So they know it happens.
1: I, they have to know it happens. I yeah. don't think I can,
0: way, you, you can't be the president of the Royal College of Psychiatry without knowing that that happens.
1: Yeah. I mean, he, he signed his name on a consensus statement around personality disorder and acknowledged the, the stigma that is attached to the label. Um, so we must know.
0: I mean, one of the things that they, he, he said was that we will uh, we will endeavour to include people with a lived experience and their families uh, when we develop further courses. But you you think you know no longer a diagnosis of exclusion that they w- they would have been doing that for a decade now.
1: You you would hope, <laughs> but apparently not. Um... And I think what's interesting is like, there's another work stream within the Royal College that is about co-production. Yeah. And I, you know, if if you are creating literature about co-production within the college and that's then supposed to trickle down into the NHS, like, why is it not throughout the college? Why are we not saying that this co-production should be mandatory for any piece of training, anything that's ever delivered?
0: So it almost feels like a splinter group. you know. Yeah. They've been put in a little room somewhere, in, in a dark yeah. recess somewhere.
1: Mm.
0: So you know, with that kind of attitude, nothing will change. Nothing can change.
1: No, but again, it, it, I guess it's about systems being very fragmented and never working cohesively. And that is something that happens relentlessly within all organizations you know people are very siloed and yeah, don't yeah. blend together often don't work well together um and yet they they all have different kind of aims and objectives and the person that is receiving care gets completely lost
0: interesting you're saying that the you know organizations don't work well together and, and one of the things that i would love is 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 that you know, we as a sort of the the culture of crazies. If if somehow we could work together and point in the same direction, but we feel like such a disparate group. You know, I was I was talking to my eldest uh, son earlier on, and he, I was saying that you know, it's it's not just like trying to herd cats or or nailing jelly to a gate. It's like trying to nail a a herd of cats made out of jelly onto a gate it's it, it feels like how do we move together uh with this yeah because a lot there's so many of us surely we must have power
1: you would hope you would hope but then i wonder sometimes if the power of the organizations and if the power of The culture is greater than us and i think it often costs us you know hugely the amount of emotional labor it takes and i think they know that and i think organizations um often will say oh we'll do better oh you can come and help us but know that without the reasonable adjustments without actual support and proper planning and implementation or anything that we will flounder because it costs us the work fucking costs us yeah
0: yeah yeah i mean one of the other things uh, in the apology was um there'll be more accepting of critical voices which implied that critical voices aren't welcome so there's some notion of tame loonies being presented in front of folk and saying look look they look like us they walk like us
1: yeah maybe and but again you know i think that is something we see throughout the nhs you get you get the poster children of yeah. organisations that are the people that are very often eager to please and give something back and i i was one of them yeah. you know i yeah. I thought I was indebted to services and was at that point unable to see the harm (laughs) that they had really caused um, and wanted to do something positive and shape something without realising how powerless I was within a huge system. Um, And I imagine that's, potentially the same within within elements of, of the college. But <clears throat> I've done some work with the Royal College recently and um, I think, as you know, I'm very... I'll, I'll say what I've got to say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think they are kind of more open to critical voices. But ultimately, I think it's very difficult for... Um, psychiatrists to hear they have harmed people that the way that they label people is harmful, the medication that they prescribe to people is often harmful Um, and I think they maybe then wonder well where where is our function, what's what's our purpose and maybe there isn't one for psychiatry within working with people that have huge amounts of trauma Um,
0: I suppose they could start with not harming people
1: That it'd be a, pl- a good place <laughs> to start wouldn't it imagine
0: I mean I, I Jim when I started all this I felt like I had to do something this was a tipping point for me I was thinking fucking hell it's enough is enough but I and, and speaking to people like you it, it it it's it's refreshing and it's exciting but it feels like there's a lot of energy and we don't quite know where to go with it I mean one thing I want to do is the uh, course was going to take place at the Royal College of Psychiatry on June the 10th at 10 o'clock in the morning Mm. and what I want to do is have a gathering of people doing God knows what yet (laughs) um, to to mark that occasion uh, to show solidarity uh, and to show that we, together, were standing up against that kind of stigma. Now, one of the things that I came across was uh, a song. Uh, I don't know if you know the Eurythmics at all. Uh, yes. Thorn in my side, which, yeah. which I thought fitted really well in. And if you look at the lyrics of that that their song, it's perfect. It is absolutely perfect. I mean, it was almost written for us. And I thought if we could turn up calling ourselves Manipulative Mary and the Attention Seekers, <laughs> <laughs> singing that song outside the Royal College on that morning and, and, and maybe having readings from the sacred text, which is obviously the, the, the course description, mm. um, something might come of it. We might get, it, it feels, because it feels at the moment that we're shouting into a tiny little well. It feels yeah. like there's yeah. only a few voices, few few ears that are hearing us. The mainstream media don't seem to be terribly worried. I've tried to engage mind and, and say, you know, now, now, now that you've taken over from time to change, wouldn't it be great if you picked up the stigma, anti-stigma mantle and gone, yay, we're for you guys. But I haven't heard anything from them. So, I don't know, I, I I want to do something and I want to make a noise. So, do you think that's bollocks or...?
1: No, I think it's definitely <clears throat> worth doing. And I think even, you know, even if it brings a collective of people together that have a shared viewpoint, and I know that we don't always, and I think sometimes because our experiences of of services and you know our lives have been very disparate um and potentially you know not working within services or working within services and knowing what that is or isn't like um I think often leads to a lot of tension between people um but if we can if we can just put that down yeah yeah for a day yeah, uh, yeah and and work towards that collective aim of we we don't fucking want this yeah we don't want this fucking bullshit label yeah stop treating us like this um yeah i think that's that's a place to start that's a, a foundation to go from
0: I, something that would show a bit of um solidarity and and i think the name of the band is obviously it's definitely got legs <laughs> yeah it, 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 it came to me uh i was i was i, I was visited by uh uh Mar- the the ghost of marilyn monroe you know our our, our patron saint of of pd <laughs> yeah and uh she, she said unto me in the night that that this is what <laughs> we must do we must sing outside the royal college but yeah i'm gonna do it <laughs> so if if other people can that'd be brilliant. Um, uh although the, the other thing that I thought we could do is, do you know how they they have they do they run courses and then they invite us along to make a contribution. Mm-hmm. How would it be if they said, "Here's some money, oh crazy people, go and make a course um, and then we invite them if we want them to come along? And, and not if we don't think there's a place for them on the course. And then that course is mandatory on psych nurse training, psychiatry training, psychology training, police training. Anybody who is charged with looking after people with personality disorder. Maybe I'm shooting for the moon here. I I, I don't know. But it feels like nothing will change without radical change.
1: Yeah. No, I agree. And actually, I think, you know, <clears throat> some of the um, survivor-led training that that I've been part of and have attended have, have been fucking ace. Yeah, yeah, I bet. And had a really, really different feel to um, the more clinical and dry and sometimes the you know the co-facilitated co-produced um stuff and i think people need that i think people need a really tangible um feeling of actually this is what people experience this is what people with a diagnosis might look like because there's this idea you know i i hear it all the time oh you don't look like you're a pd what the fuck does that mean (laughs) how am i supposed to go up with it fucking tattooed across my head you're you're lucky
0: i'm i'm too nice to have borderline personality disorder apparently (laughs) (laughs) so But,
1: but having that i guess exposure to a range of voices that Represent people with this diagnosis within our community, and yeah, allowing people to see and hear it in a way that they haven't done before.
0: Yeah, and to to change stuff. So hopefully, I don't know this 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 box set will go some way to sort of make, making some people think i mean then again a lot of people who we want to listen to won't listen to it unless people stick it under their nose and say yeah. you know these these are the voices of a lot of people with a lived experience and this is what it's like to be smacked in the face with prejudice and mm. discrimination um regularly yeah. um so i mean what you know that that that's my, that's my utopian future i mean do do you have thoughts of of how you would like to see things go
1: I would definitely want to see more active involvement of of people with lived experience within services top down
0: sure sure
1: um and I think them be really being in positions where they shape people's care and not just the kind of the tokenistic person that attends a meeting and maybe they get to say something, uh, but it's probably not gonna be listened to, um, but where, where people hold actual power within the system. Sure. Um, and I am very fortunate to have that in the organization that I work in now. I didn't have that in the NHS. Right, right. Um, and that has to be different. It has to be different. Because we know the system as it exists fails people we know the system as it exists doesn't fucking work
0: well it's nowhere near working um it's it's arbitrary it's punitive it's
1: and yet there are interventions like crisis um houses that are survivor-led that work beautifully yeah and why is that why aren't we harnessing that more why aren't we thinking about the power that that has as an intervention for people where they are with people that share and understand their experience, not just, I'm a psychologist, I'm sure, a psychiatrist, sure. I'm a nurse.
0: But there's also therapeutic communities, and, and they seem to yeah. really work for people. Yeah. And yeah. and now they're as rare as hen's teeth.
1: Yeah.
0: i mean, incredibly really sad. The, the, I think there's other two in the, the whole of the country now. I, I, I'm not sure.
1: <clears> no, I think there's... Maybe four or five.
0: Okay, right.
1: But they, they, yeah, they. A lot of them are kind of up north, or right. then like Cambridge, Oxford.
0: Yeah,
1: um, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's not nearly enough of them, and I think, you know, like any intervention, people have bad experiences. Of course, of, of course. And potentially that just isn't the intervention for them, or maybe there is something about how the intervention is set up. But. I think the the foundations of therapeutic communities of holding and sharing power yes, and decision yes. making, and you're all accountable, yeah, you yeah, know, and, yeah. and the staff don't lead anything. That's wow. what a good therapeutic community should be, is life-changing for people. Yeah,
0: yeah. I suppose, and it's
1: interesting yeah. how the NHS choose to take away those interventions where people get to hold power, but the The more prescribed and kind of didactic interventions like MBT or DBT,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: are the things that are pushed.
0: See, even MBT, mentalization based therapy, it feels like that could be a good thing if it was something that was applied to the professionals at the same yeah. time as yeah. the punters.
1: And, and it's the same with DBT, you yeah, know, yeah. I, I, I done dbt and um you know it wasn't always an easy experience uh with with some of the facilitators that i had um but i think there are there are a lot of skills within that that clinicians should be using yeah 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 why aren't why aren't you learning how to effectively regulate your emotions yeah
0: while while you're hating your client group
1: yeah exactly exactly
0: i'm looking at our time that's shocking uh even, even with the the uh the slight intervention where the car wouldn't start uh, we've been going on for about an hour so uh so the the the, the future are you, are you optimistic about the
1: future i try to be i sure. try to be <laughs> um it, yeah it's it's difficult to hold hope in systems that feel hopeless sure. um and that really has an impact often,, um, but i want I want to to see things be different, and I will keep pushing for things to be different for people, and certainly the people that that I work with. you know if it's just a a small change yeah, for yeah. a handful of people, that feels worthwhile. Okay. It might not be within my gift or power to make it bigger than that. I don't know
0: i mean i i've got to say i was really looking forward to talking to you because it feels like you know we're playing for the same team we're pointing the same direction and it it, hopefully there's we can just gather together more of us and i hope so and and get that change happening thanks ever so much for your time really appreciate it um I'm I'm going to drag you onto another podcast later on uh, to to, <laughs> to talk extensively about something entirely unrelated. Well, it's not entirely unrelated, but but that's going to have to wait for any
1: time another yeah. time.
0: I, yeah. No, thank
1: you very much, mate.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, you. Bye for now. Huge thanks to Holly for giving me time in her busy schedule to contribute to to whatever this is. I've put a link to her podcast in the blurb. And huge thanks to you, fine folk, who've joined me on this part of the journey. So, what next? I don't know. I'm really passionate about this and I want to be involved in effecting real and lasting change. This isn't a sprint. It's taken us years, decades, maybe even a century to get to this point. This is a marathon of huge proportions. Although I'm passionate, I'm limited in what I can do. I lose one to two random days every week to dissociation and or internal emotional explosions. Suicidal ideation and the urge to self-harm is never far away. I, we, me and my lovely wife Ella manage this. We know they are symptoms, they're imposters that come and go. On the subject of symptoms, I developed type 2 diabetes, probably as a result of taking quetiapine, an antipsychotic for 16 years. Although I'm in remission now, that seems to have left its scars of permanent pins and needles in my hands and feet. The occasional complete numbness of fingers lasting for a few hours, uh, constant tinnitus that varies in volume, just to piss me off. But probably the most pervasive, pervasive symptom is pain everywhere. From my feet to every joint in my body, at different levels of intensity, just to keep me on my toes, or not. Tests are ongoing. Don't worry, I'm making reasonable adjustments. So, before I rudely interrupted your train of thought, where next? Now, remember, these are just ideas. They're not carved in stone. I'll welcome any ideas. First of all, I believe the Royal College of Psychiatrists' response to the heinous course description is utterly inadequate. The apology created the illusion that this was a one-off, a a terrible mistake. From what I've seen, please correct me if I'm wrong, the perpetrators have experienced no repercussions or sanctions as a result of this bigotry. Sure, Dr Adrian James, the President of the Royal College, has promised us a course in the future where people with a lived experience will be enabled to co-produce, being involved in its development, running and assessment. Hopefully If nothing else, we've been able to demonstrate that prejudice against people with the label of personality disorder goes way beyond this. It's institutional and pernicious. The course description was by no means a one-off. The offer to include us in in a training course is too little, too late. If one person hadn't blown the whistle, this course would have continued unabated, unchallenged, potentially for years. We were promised real and lasting change in the NHS England's 2003 publication, Personality Disorder No Longer a Diagnosis of Exclusion. From what I can see, if anything, services have deteriorated while prejudice has increased in the 19 years since then. Saying you're going to involve us now, really? Honestly? After nearly 20 years? It feels like lip service. Secondly, we need some manner of event to focus our minds, to rally together and work out what we need to do next. I'd like to think June the 10th at 10am, that was the proposed time and date for the now council course outside the Royal College of Psychiatry on Prescott Street in London, would be ideal. I'd hope that this would raise awareness and pull in the interest of the, the media, both social and mainstream. But what do we do at the event? Well, that's entirely up to you. I think, just like any great movement from the past, I think we should have readings from the sacred text, the bigoted course description to remind us exactly what brought us to this point. We'll need a song or two to bring us together and to make a noise. I think a slightly altered, and I do mean slightly, version of Thorn in My Side by the Eurythmics, and or we sink by the churches, the chorus is absolutely perfect, links in the blurb. We could call ourselves Manipulative Mary and the Attention Seekers, although Manipulative Malcolm fits just as well. As well as making a noise, we need to listen, really listen to people's experiences. Without that as a bedrock, we really won't have anything to build on. We'll need to acknowledge that mental mental health activism such as this has been weaponised against us in the past, where our posts on social media have have mysteriously appeared in our medical notes, placed there by professionals who've monitored us in places where we felt safe. We need to support people to protest anonymously and safely away from this surveillance. On a practical level, we need some manner of fund to support people, if we can, to get down to London. If people are going to be speaking out, we'll need some manner of PA system to ensure their voices are heard. Maybe we could pre-record them to ensure anon- anonymity, if need be. We need to engage with the general public. Without them, we'll feel we'll feel great after a great day of noise making, but nothing will really change. We need the media, social and mainstream to help. I thought the hashtag fucking mental would be a good start. That might just play into the hands of those who want to negate our experiences. We need to involve all our potential allies. As a group, the crazy community often doesn't do itself any favours. Quite rightfully, many of us could start a fight in an empty room. Over the years, I've seen us generate battles over medication versus no medication, therapy versus Medication, trauma versus no trauma, organic versus acquired, psych and anti psych, professional versus anti professional. There have been so many punch ups in and around the language that's used to describe us, I can't easily split that into a false dichotomy. Make no mistake, these squabbles, these divisions where both sides are as equally valid as they are invalid, are a smokescreen for the major issues of prejudice stifling and chronic underfunding, leading to a lack of in services for vulnerable people in distress. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of mental health workers who want to speak out, who I'm sure would join us too. We need to develop a safe place for people to help us, to work alongside us. Who knows, after we've made a noise in the street, maybe the Royal College of Psychiatrists could offer a space inside their building for conversations, thoughts, and planning. I understand they've got at least one empty room on that day. For those of you interested in reading a bit more on how stigmatised and stigmatising groups have worked together for the better of all, you can take a look at the link to intergroup contact theory in the blurb. For the future, we, we need real tangible demands to to be met that will mean real change. My demands would be, feel free to pitch in Ad Jerome, and or ignore mine. First of all, we need a personality disorder course designed by us, run by us, and assessed by us. If we want to co-produce with others, then that's our choice to make. Once developed, attendance on the course will be mandatory for all professions involved in working with people with a label of personality disorder. Psychiatrists, all medical doctors, anyone in the NHS, nurses, who is likely to come into come anywhere near someone with a label of personality disorder, social workers, anyone involved in that part of the criminal justice system that's likely to do us harm. All police officer training, psychology, mental health nursing, occupational therapy, and of course, everyone employed by the Department of Work and Pensions. The training must be mandatory, otherwise the usual suspects will avoid it and continue with their prejudiced nonsense. We must have sanctions for bigotry. The oh that's just Chris approach just doesn't work. We must have clear processes in place that make prejudice against people with a personality disorder with a personality disorder label punishable with verbal and written warnings, training needs that are addressed, and if necessary for repeat offenders, dismissal. We must implement the 2010 Equalities Act wherever applicable. For some reason, it's been ignored, especially by the NHS and the private companies employed in its name. Take a look at the legislation. The links are in the blurb. People with a label of personality disorder are supposed to be protected by law. And yet, well, we're not, especially when that law goes largely ignored. If you're going to employ somebody with a lived experience as a person with a lived experience in your organisation, Put that experience front and centre in the job requirements. Don't act like it's some box to tick or some hoop to jump through. Make reasonable adjustments. Put this front and centre in the application process. Don't just use it use us as some kind of inspirational recovery jukebox for you to roll out whenever it suits you. People who haven't recovered, whatever the hell that means, have just as much to offer these jobs as people who have. claim to have just so that they can get a foot in your corporate door. You're not doing us any favors by considering reasonable adjustments. It's the law. There's much much more. For example, don't claim people aren't engaging in services when it's services that aren't engaging with them. Don't claim to offer DBT, MBT, STEPS, psychotherapy or CAT or any other therapeutic intervention when all you have is a poor, diluted hybrid delivered by well-meaning but untrained enthusiasts. Offer it or don't offer it. Let's stop pretending. This is just the beginning. There is so much for us to think about. The status quo is unacceptable. Get in touch with me if you'd like to get involved in whatever way you can. I'll put all my links in the blurb. Thank you so much for joining me on what I hope to be an interesting journey. Until the next time, thanks for listening.